try to identify how many different groups you are. And I'll give you one of the smallest groups that many of us are a part of. Many of us are a part of a family. Okay, so that is a group. And then maybe one of the larger groups that we're a part of would be like we're Americans or you know, we have some nationality. But there's a lot of other groups between those two. So talk to your neighbor about what kind of groups you are in and how many, see how many different groups you can identify. Go ahead and talk now. Make sure you include the kids in this so they can identify how they fit into their communities. Okay, so how many are you getting up to? 8, 10, 12, 15? Anybody that high? Yeah? Pretty easy. You got all these different associations we're part of and bowling teams and school groups and whatever, athletic teams, musical groups, that kind of thing. Anybody have 20? Identify 20? 25? Okay, so we're doing this slow church study, which is about building community, and it's occurred to me that it's not really so much about whether I'm part of a community or not part of a community. It seems like it's really a lot more about what kind of communities am I a part of and how do we relate to each other within those communities. So that's what we really want to think about today, what kind of communities we're part of and what kind of communities would we like to be a part of, how would we like them to function. And to get our thinking about it, we're going to turn again to the Gospels and look at another parable of Jesus Um, These parables, remember, are about the kingdom and Jesus describing what the kingdom of God looks like. And we're thinking, well, our community should be reflections of God's kingdom. So look to Luke chapter 16 is where we're going to read. If you've got a Bible or iPad or phone or whatever you read scripture on, if you don't, there's Bibles in the chairs you can grab. Luke chapter 16. We're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, 16th chapter. I'm going to start reading with verse 19. Luke sixteen nineteen. There was a man who was rich, and he was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died, and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger into water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire." But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things? But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. Then the man answered, I beg you, Father, Send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets... They will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. I have just recently uh, been listening to a book called The Quartet. 
And uh, this book is about George Washington and James Madison and Alexander Hamilton and John Jay, who were the four players, according to this author, who were most involved in getting our Constitution adopted. And they were um, vigorous proponents for our original 13 colonies, not each of them becoming separate states, but for them to be united as one United States. And this book, is, if you're interested in this kind of history at all, is a fascinating kind of retelling of the story of in 17. 87 and 1788 when they were getting the Constitution ratified. And this proposal, when it was initially floated, uh, appeared to be destined to be defeated because we as a people were not used to thinking of one great nation. Each of the individual states was used to thinking of themselves as autonomous and they were all kind of pursuing their own self-interest. So these four leaders had to work very hard in order to get the Constitution adopted. Even though I know the outcome of the story, I still found that the, the kind of tug of war that was taking place between the individual rights of the states and desires of the states versus the desires of kind of the whole nation, it, it was fascinating. Can anyone tell me the first three words of the preamble to the Constitution? We the people. Yeah, actually, I want to read the whole first sentence here for you. We the people of the United States in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. It seems to me there was a song about that. Wasn't there Constitution Rock or something? From Maybe you could sing that to me later. The opening words of this statement, we the people in my mind, kind of encapsulates this whole debate that was taking place. It was this tug-of-war between, are we going to be people united, or are we going to be every man for himself? Because the original battle lines were drawn with each state thinking, I'm going to do my own thing, and I don't need the rest of you. And as I was listening to this book, I was actually reading The Slow Church at the same time. And it got to me thinking about the parallels between our nation and how it became united as one nation versus how we function as individuals within the church. So it seems like there's the same two polarities. On the one hand, we have this kind of mentality that says, every man for himself. I'm going to look out for my own self-interest. I'm going to look out for the things that are good for me. I don't really care about what impact this has on the rest of you. I'm only going to be concerned about myself. That mentality versus the mentality on the other hand, which says, we the people united. Now, I understand that when this concept of we the people was first floated to the states, it was a radically new idea. They had not been used to thinking of themselves as we the people united. They had been used to thinking of themselves as every man for himself. That's the mentality. And that got me wondering, how do we as a community think of ourselves? Do we primarily think of ourselves as everyone for himself? Or do we think of ourselves as we the people united? So what do you think? How do you think of us as a community? Every man for himself, we the people. Hmm? Good question. I actually see some of both. And I'm actually not surprised when I see us being we the people 
Uh, I'm actually not surprised when I see us on this side being every man for himself because we kind of, this is part of our American legacy actually, isn't it? We grew up in kind of a world that says, you know, you should go out there and look out for number one. You should pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You should take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, no one else is going to take care of yourself, right? This is kind of like the, the voice that is in our world, in our culture, telling us, you know, you've got to think of yourself first. That's more, we're more likely to hear that voice than to hear the voice of saying, hey, think about others first. Think about what you could do for the community. How do you fit into the whole we're not used to thinking that way. We're used to thinking this. And if we don't have it from our kind of culture as a whole telling us to think about ourselves, we actually have a voice within us that is usually prone to think about itself first, don't we? Aren't we more likely to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to? Aren't we more likely to end on the spectrum that is about I'm proud and self uh, and interested in my own self-interest versus humble and self-sacrificing, that there's a very real voice that we have to deal with from without and from within ourselves that says, I can do it myself. And I think the, the natural implication of that is then to also go, so I don't need you. If I can do it myself, I don't need you. I remember, um, some of you remember my son Travis, and when he was a real little kid, I was thinking about him just learning to do puzzles. And I'm thinking about those big wooden puzzles that have like the shapes and then there's a, a shape in the puzzle that fits exactly that so they're not that complicated. And I can remember Travis scooping up a piece of puzzle and slapping it down on that and then pushing and trying to get the wrong shape to fit into the wrong hole. And he would push real hard and I'm like, okay, being a good dad, I'm trying to help him. I'm like, okay, Travis, I'm not sure that cow shape is ever going to fit into that chicken hole, you know? I'm just telling you, you know? And when I would say that, what would he say to me? He would actually push down harder on that piece of puzzle and he would say, I can do it myself. So this is a natural posture for us to end up in, whether it's from the voice in our culture around us or whether it's from the voice within saying, I, can, I don't need you, I can do it myself. I think that there's a natural tendency for us to do that. So I found myself when I was listening to this story of the Constitution even though I knew the outcome, every time Washington or Alexander or Jay or Madison moved us a little bit closer toward being one United States, I found myself going like, yeah, this is going to be good because we're going to be better as one great nation than we're going to be as separate colonies or separate states. We're going to be so much better and I can, just, I can just cheer this on. Now I'm feeling the same way every time I think about what it means for us as a people to be in community together. Every time I feel like we're making a little step toward being we the people united, I'm like, yeah, we're moving in the right direction. This is going to be better for us. We're going to be better we the people united than we could ever be every man for himself. And now I used to think, kind of even when we started this series, I used to think it's kind of an either-or question. Either I am every man for myself or I'm in community and I'm we the people united. And now I've been seeing that it's a lot more complicated than that. And there's probably a lot of stages along the way. It's not either I'm all by myself or I'm all united. It's kind of like, where am I on this spectrum? Or maybe I ask the question, what kind of community would I like to be part of? Would I like to be part of a community that leans toward every man for himself? Or would I like to be part of a community that's leaning toward we, the people, united? So now I'm thinking about that when I'm reading this story about the rich man and Lazarus, and it makes me wonder what kind of community is present when a wealthy man 
could walk past this poor beggar who was sitting right outside his door every day and not notice. And the descriptions about this man in the text, if you pay attention to it, all the descriptions of this rich man are positive descriptions. It describes his status, it describes his clothing, it describes his wealth. And in that particular community, this would have been like, this is a good man. He's a man who's respected. He's a man who's got a good reputation within the community. He's an upstanding citizen within his community. And when they describe him, they don't describe him as someone who's mean or cruel. They don't describe him as a hater. They don't accuse him of like committing adultery or committing murder or being violent or being angry. They don't describe him anyway. All the descriptions of this rich man are like positive descriptions. And so when the story gets to this little turn and they, he dies... I'm shocked by the outcome because he's described as going to hell. That's how the parable describes him. So what did this good man do to deserve hell? And the only description in this particular text that he did wrong was this. He did not love his neighbor. That's what he did wrong. This story would have been a huge reversal for everybody who was listening to it because in that day, there was kind of like this assumption that if you're wealthy and well-respected in the community, then you're probably a good man. Your wealth is actually a sign of God's blessing on you for being good. And it would have been thought that this poor beggar who was hurting and sick, sitting at the gate, was cursed likely because he was a bad man. So everybody listening to this story would have been like, oh my gosh, what went on here? The bad man went to Abraham's bosom. He's in heaven. And the good man, who was wealthy, went to hell. And the main reason for it was he did not love his neighbor. Now, he was toward the every man for himself spectrum. I can do it myself. I don't need you. He was not toward the we the people united end of the spectrum. So throughout the slow church study, I've been thinking about what kind of community do we want to be? And I'm starting to see this spectrum has a lot of options along the way. Do we want to be people who love and are loved by other people and we would like to love and love more? Would we like to be a kind of people who serve others and are served by others and we're going to serve more and more? Would we like to be the kind of people who who know and are known by others and are known more and more? Do we want to be the kind of community that is less every man for himself and more we the people united? And I find myself, every time I hear a description of a community that's more we the people, I'm like, yes, that is what I want. And I'd like to see more and more of that developed in my own life and in your life. So I start listening to some different voices. And the voices I'm listening to not is the voice from within or the voice from the world saying, every man for himself. Now I'm listening to the voice of Scripture. And it describes a completely different kind of community. Listen to this. This is what the Bible says about it in Ephesians chapter 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Do I want to be part of a community that recognizes God is our Father? All of us. I read elsewhere in the Bible where it says, Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, 
but now you have received mercy. Would I like to be part of a community that recognizes more and more, hey, once I was not, I did not belong. I was not one of you. I was not a people of God. Now I'm a people of God. Once I was not loved, I had not received God's mercy. Now I've received God's mercy. I hear the Bible talk about us as being strangers and foreigners and aliens and outcasts, people who did not belong. But now we belong. I hear God say that he is our God and that he chooses us to be his people. I hear God say, you are mine. I hear God say, you belong to me, and because you belong to me, you belong to each other. This is the description I hear in the Bible, and when I hear this voice of Scripture talking, I'm like, yes, that is the kind of community I want to be part of. A community that goes, we belong to God, and so we belong to each other. I want to be part of a community that's described this way, like a body that has many parts. And all the parts are not the same. There's lots of different parts to make up your body. And sometimes we even value our body parts, some greater and some lesser. But the bottom line is, we need all of the parts to be in the body, or we don't have a whole body. This is the way the Bible talks about community, and I want that kind of community. I want a community where it's not the isolation of everyone for yourself, the isolation of saying, I don't need you. I want a community that allows me to to take it a little deeper, to have a little more connection, to move a little more toward a vision of a people united, God's people. Now I recognize that the Scripture has a lot more to say about this, and when I hear these descriptions of this kind of deeper connection, I again go, yes, that's the kind of community I want to be part of. The Bible says things like this, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Carry each other's burdens. Serve each other. Bear with each other. Encourage each other. Build each other up. Pray for each other. Love each other. I'd like to be part of a community like that. Now, just because I want this kind of community doesn't necessarily mean that I get it. There's some real challenges and some real difficulties. Now I'm thinking about the story of rich man and Lazarus again, and I'm thinking about the kind of things in this story that are required in order for me to move toward that deeper kind of community. And I see things like this. That kind of community requires attentiveness. You have to pay attention. You know, it seems like one of the things the rich man just didn't do was he just didn't notice the man at his front door. Can we be a community that pays attention to the world around us and even the world that's maybe right in front of us as a first step toward building a different kind of community? Now, this is kind of interesting. This is a little bit of an aside in that book, The Quartet. Um, So Washington presided over the Constitutional Convention, and while they were um, going through many months of discussion about, you know, we the people and the pursuit of liberty and justice for all, the whole time that these high-level deliberations were going on about uh, uh, liberty and freedom, he had a slave who was standing right by his side throughout the entire deliberation. And you wonder if he even ever noticed. Now, it maybe isn't fair exactly to put our kind of modern sensibilities back on them, but there was certainly some disconnect there in which he didn't notice that, though we're talking about liberty for all people, I got a slave. Uh, genuine community requires 
attentiveness. We, got, we have to pay attention to those things that are right there in front of us. And when we do, that leads to this next requirement, which is um, it requires time. Once I notice, then I am often moved to have to do something about it. I've got to get involved, and that takes time. And this is one of those interesting kind of dilemmas we discovered throughout this Slow Church series. One of the things we were calling the congregation to do was to make time to spend in community with each other. So we encouraged the small groups and the cell groups. We encouraged having meals together, getting together with people maybe you didn't know. And you know what was the main pushback we got in, in this call for spending time in small groups? What was the main pushback? I don't have time. A couple weeks ago when Alan had the little survey in the bulletin and we asked people, what do you need more of? If you could say you could have more than enough of anything, the answer we got by far more than any other answer was, I need more time. Building community requires time. I, I just think there's no shortcut there. You can't, you can't speed up the building of community. And the next requirement is kind of related to that. It's the idea of continuity, which says I don't just even need time for a little bit. I need time to go on for a period, and I need to keep at it. That once I begin to develop a relationship with someone, I have to continually move into that relationship in order for it to develop over time. Community requires this kind of continuity. Community also then requires risk because once I've invested some time and I've started to get involved in somebody's life and maybe done that over a long period of time, here's the thing. There's no guarantee about the outcome. There's no guarantee that you're going to actually build real community. There's no guarantee that they're actually going to love you or that I'm actually going to love you back. There's no guarantee that once I find out what you're really like, I'm going to like it. Or once you find out what I'm really like, you're going to like that. Community is risky. It's really risky business, which leads to one of the other requirements that I'm just noting today, and that is this. So that kind of community just requires love. If I'm going to stay in it with you, even though it's difficult and messy, I have to say, I do it because I love you. I do it because I care. And I'm going to continue to build on that. Now, I'm also reading another really good book called A Community of Difference, and the author is Scott McKnight, and he actually describes in this book one of the main barriers or one significant barrier to real community like this. And he says it's the perspective that we hope to build a perfect community. And it's interesting because he actually goes back and ties this expectation to our American experience by looking at the way we started. And so he goes back to one of the reasons that brought people to America in the first place was they wanted to have religious freedom. And they thought that if we could come to America and be free from the state and free from the, the, the king and free from the, the papacy, free from all these other influences that were in Europe, then we could have a perfect church. And so these people set out to say, we're going to study the New Testament we're going to see the kind of community that the New Testament encourages, and we're going to build a community just like that, and when we're done, we will have a perfect community. How do you think that worked out for them? It's kind of interesting because this is the pattern we see in many of those early churches. They created a vision for their community, then they started a new church based on this vision, then they ran into problems living out that vision, and then they became discouraged, and then they left the church. 
And then they studied the New Testament to get a new and improved vision of the early church. And they started a church like that. And they became discouraged because it didn't work out right. So they left the church and discovered another vision for a new improved vision and became discouraged and then left that church. And you see the fruit of this desire to have a perfect community is I get more and more isolated because I realize there ain't no perfect community. There isn't no perfect church. Now this stands in stark contrast to the vision that we get in Scripture where Paul, who describes this, you know, most of Paul's letters written in the New Testament were written to churches, and why did he write the letters? Because the churches were screwed up. They had some kind of problem. And so Paul had to write them and say, hey, listen, don't stop being a community together, but just recognize that here's a better vision for this. And if you read kind of the bottom line of all of Paul's letters to every one of the churches that had a problem, what's the one thing he said they all needed? To love each other. And if you love each other, then you could overcome these imperfect communities. Now I read those kinds of descriptions and I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of community I want. I want to be part of a community that says, I love you, even though you're like failures, even though you're flawed, even though you've got problems, even though you've got difficulties. I'm not going to run off and start a new community. I'm going to stick with you. That's the kind of community that I want. This is kind of the vision that we had when we started the whole slow church study. Could we move toward that kind of community, away from every man for himself, toward we the people, united, no matter what? So I've got a couple of suggestions I'm going to give you as maybe next steps you might think about in moving and continuing us moving in that direction. The first suggestion is this. Embrace this gift. God loves you. God is our God, and we are his people. When we come to faith in Christ, we become part of a community, and the Bible says nothing can separate us from that love in Christ Jesus. We need to embrace that. We need to recognize that we are part of a community, and no imperfection can get you booted out of the community. No imperfection, no failure can get you voted off the island. In Christ, you belong. And you're loved. And I'm loved. First step is simply to embrace that. Second step, pay attention. I want to be part of a community that notices if there's a poor, sick beggar sitting at our front door. Now, I'll tell you, this step here will get you in trouble. I, I know from experience. If you just start paying attention, it will start to wreck you because you'll see things right outside your front door that require love. That's the second suggestion. The third suggestion is to take a risk. It is risky business and messy. Are we willing to simply take a risk and step into a place? I don't know the outcome. I don't know what's going to happen. I know that unless God does something, it's not going to happen, but I'll step in there anyway and see what God wants to do. I think there's some big risks and some small risks we can take depending on where you're at on that continuum. Some of the risks I don't even think are that big. It's just a matter of maybe changing some patterns and some habits. And one of them is this idea of, am I willing to just risk disclosing who I am to you? Because we have like communication patterns. And some of you have done those cell group and small group leadership training. You recognize these levels of communication that we have a tendency in our community to, to communicate at this really high level of facts and information. So I like to report to you things that are happening. 
So I can talk about the weather. I can talk about the Hawkeyes, even though I'm sick of talking about the Hawkeyes. I can talk to you about the facts and events that are going on around me. What if I was willing to take a risk and go one step deeper than facts and reporting and say, oh, well, I'm going to tell you what I think about that. I'm going to disclose a little bit about my own thoughts and then I can move to my values or my emotions. What, do I, what am I willing to tell you about how this impacts me or how this shapes me? Would I take the conversation to that level? Ultimately, wanting to bring it down to this final level where it says, I'm just willing to be tra- transparent with you. I'm willing to let you know what's really going on in my life, in my heart, in my mind. I will share it with you. That's the final level. Would we be willing to risk taking it down a level from facts to thoughts to values to emotions to to disclosure, even just in conversations that we have with people. That's one of the reasons I appreciate the vocational interviews we've been doing because it's a, it's a moment of disclosure. And those people who have shared some of their frustrations in their vocation, they're like saying, I'm willing to let you see a little bit of my heart, a little bit of my world. Can we take that down? Take a risk. And the last suggestion I have is simply to be patient. Our goal is to develop community in the patient way of Jesus. And we are convinced that God is working in our community and absolutely working. We just studied the verse in John 3 today in our Sunday school class about the wind blowing. And you know, you you can't see the wind blowing, although they wanted to argue with me about that. But you can't actually see the wind. We see the fruit of the wind. I feel like if we are patient in developing the communities that God places us into, and we simply recognize how much we are loved by God. We simply recognize and pay attention to the world that we're in. And we take a little risk every now and then that we will discover God is building his community in the patient way of Jesus, and we are all part of that. So there's some suggestions you can think about. I want to spend a few moments in prayer. Someone suggested that we have kind of a moment of silence in our prayer time this morning, and I like that. It actually fits with our overall idea of recognizing that we're part of a community. When you were talking about the groups you belong to, did anybody say we're part of a global community? Do we recognize that? We're part of situations that are going on in the other part of the world, and these things have huge impact on us, whether it's a terrorist attack or whether it's refugees who are looking for a place of, uh, to call home, a place of refuge and um, compassion. We're part of that larger community. So I'm going to start with just a moment of silence to let you reflect on and pray for those situations that are going on around our world, and then I'll lead us in the prayers of the people. So let's pray together. God, as we take these moments in prayer, I am drawn back to a voice that uh, I think it's a voice from your spirit. It's a voice that is reminding me that you are a good, good father. And I am loved by you. And that we who have gathered here in your name are your people. And we are loved by you. And God, I'm so grateful for how that love has this irresistible 
ability to form us into a community. And I pray, God, that you would continue to develop that community and continue to move us more and more toward being a people united in you. God, we do pray for situations that are in our world. We recognize turmoil in so many different places and so many different nations and regions of our world. We recognize that there is unrest. We recognize that there are so many who are victimized and hurt and damaged by the conditions in our world. I think of those who uh, are innocent in this process, who get caught up in violence, who get caught up in uh, being forced out of their homes, who get caught up in war. And it seems like it's more than we can almost bear to witness as we pay attention to it. But God, I pray that you would wrap your strong arms around uh, those who need it most today in our world, that you would give comfort and share your love and shine your love down upon this world. And God, we pray for peace. We pray for peace among nations and among tribes and among peoples. We would like to see a community in which uh, the lion would lay down with the lamb and in which a child could play with a snake and in which mortal enemies could sit down at a table together. And God, we're looking forward to the day when you will bring that kingdom into existence. And in the meantime, we pray, God, that you would use us more and more to be a community to, uh, to model your love and to share your love uh, with this world. God, we thank you for the ways that you're at work here within our midst, and I pray a, a special prayer on the youth group as they're winding up their retreat for this weekend. We pray that, God, there would be great fruit from that that would last, that students would come to know you and then continue to live uh, and follow you. God, I give you thanks for our the children's ministry and for the way that our kids have been encouraged and thank you for families and for the commitments that they make to nurture and grow the faith of their children and pray for this event on Wednesday night that there would be some families who could come and be really encouraged by the time that's uh, spent here. God, uh, above all, we are grateful for the way that you revealed your love to us by sending your very own son to be our savior so that we can say... um, that we are forgiven people and that together as forgiven people we might continue to forge the kind of community that you desire us to forge. So keep, keep doing the good work that you've started in us and we will praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.